0: I just want to welcome you to the Hills Church. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here, and, um, and I wish so some of you are new to the Hills Church since we've been online only, and um, I can't wait until you can meet some of our people. I mean, we are a beautifully diverse church, and it's our people that really uh, makes us like, like who we are. I mean, we, we say our, our mission is to follow Jesus, love our neighbors, and to build an economically and racially diverse church, and... Um, Someday, hopefully, you will get to, to meet some of us in in person, um, and we're, we're beginning to plan for what that that might look like as some of the restrictions are lifted. Um, it's going to be a gradual process. We're not all going to be able to gather together, uh, but we're, we're thinking in small groups, maybe in some backyards where we can still practice uh, social distancing. Um, the governor announced a plan this week to ease some of the restrictions statewide, um, denver still has a bit more of the restrictions going on a a bit further but the reality is that until there's a vaccine or a a proven um, treatment i I don't think things are going to be back to normal Um, and and even at that point there could be some things that are are different that we never quite go back to and um, and i we want to get things some normalcy back in our lives and and um But we also want to to be wise. We want to continue to love our neighbors and to to practice good health practices. And So with with that in mind, I want to invite you, we begin our time most Sundays um, answering a question. And so in the comments, the, the question for this week is, what is the first thing, the first thing you're going to do when the quarantine is lifted? What's the first thing you're going to do when the quarantine is lifted? And I want you to answer it like, uh, like there is no more social distancing, like you're able to do whatever, without a recourse, without um, you know without having to worry about that. and so if if the world were to, to go back, what is, what's the one thing that you're going to do when the, the quarantine is lifted? Again, like there's no social dis- distancing going on. Just put that in the comments there, and go for to work. what's that? go to go work you're going go to work. <laughs> got to get a job. So much like, we we got to go back to work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I think we're going get, to get the kids in the car. And then we're going to go for a drive. And we're going to stop at Stedman Elementary. And then we're going to let the kids exit the car. <laughs> we're going to close the door. And then we're just going to keep driving. I don't care if it's the middle of June and nobody's oh, there. Oh, my God. We're just going to give them a moment. Uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty. They've got a fence there. They'll be fine. But... Uh, so, I don't know, so write something in there. If you're a guest with us, we'd love to connect with you. There's a form that you can fill out, a connect form in the in the comments there. So if you'll fill that out while we're live, uh, we'll donate $5 to stop human trafficking, and that's with uh, Project Rescue as our partner in that. Uh, so if you could fill it out, and uh, it's a little challenging getting to know people as they're, they're checking us out online, but if you could uh, fill that out for us, we will make an effort. We'll have a an awkward Zoom call or, or something, and uh, we'll just check in on you. Um, so we have, since Easter, been going through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and 1 Corinthians, uh, we've named it that, but that wasn't what it was called originally. It was just a letter. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul was an unlikely convert, an early unlikely convert to Christianity. In fact, he did not like Christians he thought Jesus was a sham, and then he met the risen Jesus, and he was forever changed. And he writes this, this letter to this church in the city of Corinth, and you know, this church had some issues. They were, they, were, they were messed up. They were the type of church that I'm glad I do not pastor. Like, they just had so much going on. Um, and in fact, uh, when Paul writes them, he tells them that their worship gatherings— are doing more harm than good. Like when they get together to worship, they're actually doing more harm to the body of Christ than good. I mean, can you imagine uh, Paul coming to, to one of our services or church today and saying, "Hey guys, we got to shut we got to shut this down. Like what's happening here is not good." He writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, "I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good." Uh, and and what was happening was that uh, they were taking the Lord's Supper. Some call the Eucharist or Communion. And when they were doing that, uh, some people had had resources. They were wealthy, and they were having a good meal. But they were excluding others who didn't have resources. And so some were going home hungry, while others, Paul says, were getting drunk in their in their service and their and their gathering. And so Paul is he's not having any of it. And you know, looking back, it'd be easy for us to be like. Those Christians at, at Corinth, I mean, come on, really? Or we could look back and see that, that God was so transforming people's lives and people were coming to Christ and from different backgrounds. They, they had some baggage, of course, and they, were, they didn't know what it, it meant to follow Jesus yet, and so they were being discipled, and so it was, it was a messy process. And, uh, and that's the way that I, I choose to, to look at it as, um, as we're reading here. But Paul writes them, and he wants to provide some spiritual correction, some instruction, encouragement. And at the end of the letter, he, he writes about 1,200 words on the resurrection. And so we've been, we've been looking at the resurrection, looking at 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm calling this series of talks Words of Resurrection in the Face of Death. Words of resurrection in the face of death. And my hope is, is that we would be resurrection people, like through and through, that our lives would be marked by the the resurrected life of Christ. Um, So we're going to pick up 1 Corinthians 15. Again, we're going to read in verse 12 through 19 this week. So Paul writes, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so the resurrection becomes for us the way that we, we interpret Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. It's the way that we interpret the life of Christ, uh, what Christ taught. And the resurrection is his vindication. It is the vindication of, that he was who he said he was. And, and Paul writes this letter because apparently there's some in the Corinthian church that are, are beginning to uh, doubt the resurrection, uh, downplay it a little bit. And, and Paul, is, he is adamantly pushing back. He's like, hey, guys, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then our, this whole thing crumbles. Like our faith is useless. It's false, in fact. And, and so um, Paul gives us several reasons in these verses why the resurrection is of absolute necessity. And last week, one of the reasons we said is that it is through the resurrection alone that heals our past. It is the resurrection alone that heals our past, that, that we can finally be forgiven, that our shame is taken away, that we are, um, well, because if Christ hasn't been raised, then we haven't been forgiven, and then we are still condemned. But Scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus And through the resurrection, our, our past is healed. And what I want to look at a, a bit more in detail today is a second reason that the resurrection is absolutely essential. And is, that, is that be, it is because it secures our future. It secures our future. Uh, only in the resurrection is there any hope of a future with God, of God making all things new. Um, now, uh, the purpose of God's redemptive plan in the world, it's not simply uh, to heal our past, uh, to wipe, wipe away our sins, to give us a clean slate, and, and then just to kind of send us out uh, so we can have a nice life. But God's, God's redemptive plan is, is greater, I think, than we often let ourselves think about, or as we read through Scripture, uh, we sometimes miss that, that. God's redemptive plan in the world is, is so much more than just about our individual salvation. God is doing something in the world. He's redeeming the world. He's establishing His kingdom and His new life for us, a life that endures beyond time and for all time. It's a life in which our minds are renewed, our affections affections are reordered, our bodies are restored, and the whole world is made new. And that's the promise. It's this massive redemptive vision for the world, not just for forgiveness, but but for the world. Like, this is good news, and... um. And I might, if I'm not careful, I might just preach myself happy this morning. Um, it's okay, Again, I get excited sometimes about the, the resurrection. But this is what Jesus came to do. This is why he came to earth, why he lived among us. And he not only just brought forgiveness, but he, he healed the sick. He uh, fed the poor. He, um, he welcomed those who were cast aside and considered unimportant. God was securing a future for them. There's a, a portion in the, the trilogy of The Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King in the last book. Um, it's, it's at the very end, and one of the main characters, Samwise, uh, he wakes up from this long sleep. And just before he has fallen asleep, he has, he's gone on this journey that's taken him on, on death's door numerous times, and at the at the end, like all hope, all hope is lost. And he wakes up and he sees someone who he thought had died. He, he thought he watched them die, and he hasn't seen this person in, in weeks and in, in months. And this is what he says when he, he sees this person who he thought was dead. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought, I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Gandalf said, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music. Or like water in a parched land? And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for many days, for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Um, and it's, it's a bit different than saying whether good things are going to come true. But it, it's like this reverse of what has been sad is going to be un, undone. And, and so he's asking the question a bit backwards of a, of a statement, but it's, it's much like our, the, the Christian view of, of redemption and what God is doing in the world because we recognize that there is something, something wrong in the world. We, we recognize and we see that while there is, there is joy and happiness, still there is, there is grief and there is pain, uh, there is deep sorrow, and there's this groaning in all of creation that is waiting for redemption that final redemption, when those things that are sad are going to become untrue, and the curse is rolled back, and the world is changed forever, and the people at Corinth, they wanted that. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want a great future? Who wouldn't want a future where we are perfected and all things are are made new? Um, I think that's a universal desire, and, and most of us have felt that desire in just a bit more tangible ways recently. And... And really, if we're honest, the desire for most of us is just to get things back to to where they were. Like if we could just go back about our business, if we could just go back to work, if we could just send the kids back to school like that, that is our vision at the moment. Just back to the status quo. Like if we could just, we feel like we're getting there, but we need greater desires than that. There is a greater desire. Um, C.S. Lewis In The Weight of Glory, he talks about our desires, and in this way he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And it is through the, the resurrection that, that God is going to bring a holiday, a holiday, for all, a holiday that goes on and on. but there is no future for us, for you, for me, if Christ has not been raised. And so here's, here's Paul's argument. He's saying that, that Christ came not just to forgive our sins, but to usher in the very new life of God. He came to do that by, by realizing the future. In his own body, that's what the resurrection is. It's the future of God in a glimpse in the resurrected body of Christ, and in Christ, Scripture talks about is the first, the firstborn, the first fruits of those who are going to be resurrected. But again, if Jesus wasn't raised, then then all this talk of first fruits and, and resurrection—it's all just a metaphor. It's, it's not. It's not real. It's not tangible. But at Paul says in, in verse 14, he says, verse 18, that those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Are lost if Christ has not been raised. Other versions say that have perished. And he's saying, like, all, the, all those who have fallen asleep, all those who have died in Christ, they perish. There is no future for them. And then verse 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I mean, think about your, your walk with, with Christ. When we, we commit ourselves to following Jesus, it's, it's a, a walk of uh, taking up our cross daily. It's turning the other cheek. It's giving generously. It's putting others before ourselves. And, and for what? I mean, if Christ has not been raised, why are we doing that? Like, it's, just a, it's just a fantasy. It's just, it's just a dream. Um, and Paul is pushing back against this. And he's reminding the Corinthians, he's reminding us, he's like, hey, don't listen. Don't listen to those people who are are saying that. Christ has been raised from the dead, and there is a future for you. Um, So this is not just a sentimental parade that we're participating in as we go through life, um, as we gather, as we disciple. And this is life. Christ has given us life now and forevermore. And so the, the resurrection, it's the source of our healing, in the past, it is our anchor of the hope for the future. And then the, the third reason I see in these verses for the, just the necessity of the resurrection is that the resurrected Jesus sustains us in the present. The resurrected Jesus sustains us in the present. Uh, it's not just that he heals our past. It's not just that he leads us into a future that we can't experience yet. It's that now... In real time, he is sustaining us um, on our journey. Now, one of the, the beauties and the horrors of, of the Christian life is that the Christian life, it's not a life of instant gratification. Like if you came into Christianity or to following Christ thinking instant gratification was around the corner, you probably have been uh, disappointed, disillusioned, because that is not the life that we've been called to. We've been called to a, a life of Pilgrimage, a pilgrimage every day. Uh, you, you'll hear some of the some of the old time preachers talking about leaving uh, Egypt, leaving slavery. We're on the way to the promised land, like it's coming. But on the way to the promised land, there's some wandering. There's some there's some desert, um, and all of us are wandering. But the desert is worse for some than for others. And you'll hear these themes of the promised land that's coming. We just got to keep moving forward the, to the promised land. Uh, you'll hear hear those themes especially in. And Like uh, Dr. King's, his speeches, his sermons. But the promise of God is that it is his life. It is his own living glory that feeds us in the wilderness. It is his life that, that leads us and nurtures us and sustains us as we go. God is on pilgrimage with us. God is with us on this pilgrimage. And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God himself cannot enjoy the future glory until he does so with us. God himself cannot enjoy the future glory until he does so with, uh, with us. That's what Jesus told his disciples on, on the night uh, before he was betrayed when they were celebrating the Passover meal together. Jesus he told the disciples in Matthew 26, he said, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So there, there is a, a bottle of wine that uh, is is uh, very well-aged at this point. Uh, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. But, but Jesus, he's not opening it. He can't open it. He won't drink it until we are with him. And he's waiting for that final day. He's waiting for us. And we get to be part of that. And in the meantime, we are on this journey with Jesus together. And we believe that the Son of God, let me think about that, the Son of God, he came and he dwelled among us. He took on our humanity. He entered our temptation. He took on our sin. God entered into our pilgrimage. And now he is with us. He walks with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He sustains us with his own life. And that's why he says, feed on me. Feed on me. Just like the, the children of Israel in the Old Testament had the manna from above, we feed on Christ, the body of Christ. Um, one of my aunts called me this week, and she was married for 45 years, and her husband passed away, my uncle passed away about two and a half years ago. And sometimes you'll, you'll come across a couple that's been married a long time, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and they just do not seem happy. You're like, I don't know how they did it all these years, but... Good for you. Like you guys have stuck it out. You've you've worked it out and they've stuck together and, and uh but then you come across couples that I mean they are just as much in love on year forty as they were in year four, month four, uh and just have had this this beautiful um uh, life together. And that was my my aunt and uncle. Like they um just were just a beautiful couple who, who loved one another. And um, like I said, my uncle passed away, and, it, and you've probably experienced this in your own life. Like the deeper the love you have for someone, also the deeper the grief of losing that person. The, the deeper the love you have for someone, the harder the loss, the closer the relationship, the more difficult the grief. And um, she told me that there have been days when she has uh, barely been able to put one foot in front of the other. There have been days when she hasn't felt like getting out of bed, but she has gotten out of bed every, every day. Um, and she says it was only knowing that Jesus was with her. That's, what, that's what's gotten her through. Uh, she said she reads Scripture every day, and some days it's just one, one verse is all she can read. In fact, there's some days where she can't even read Scripture because of the grief and the, the sorrow, but also mixed with, with joy. That all, Sometimes all she can do is just say Jesus. 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 And she told me, she said, Matthew, I, I don't always feel like he's there with me. But I know that he is with me. And, and he helps me get through and he helps me work through my sorrow. And, and she said, there was just absolutely no way I've, i I could have walked this, this journey by myself. But to know that Jesus is with me. And, and Paul wants to remind the Corinthians, he wants to remind us that there is no one with you right now if Christ has not been raised. Like You are talking to the wind. Your faith is in vain. Your faith is worthless. Um, but Paul writes in, in the, the last verse of the chapter, and we're going to look at this in, in more depth in the coming weeks, but he writes that all the work we do on pilgrimage, all the struggle for righteousness, all the, uh, the struggle to bring God's healing into the world, all of it matters because Jesus is raised from the dead. That's, that's why it matters. And if Christ has not been raised, who is going to sustain you? Who is going to help you through this pandemic? If Christ has but not ra- raised, then we are on pilgrimage alone. Then We are on pilgrimage alone. If Christ has not risen, you are utterly alone. But... But he is risen. He is risen. We are not alone. Jesus right now is ministering to you. Whether you can, can feel it or not, uh, he is ministering to you. He's praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. He is walking with you. And Paul wants to remind you not to listen to that voice in your head that's saying that you are alone. Don't listen to that voice. You are not alone because Christ is risen. He is nurturing you. He has poured out his life. He is pouring out his life into you. You are on pilgrimage. We all are, yes. But we have a great high priest, the one who goes before us. He is with us. He is before us. He is behind us. He is above. He is below. It was uh, St. Patrick who penned the words, Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I rise. It is the resurrection that frees us from the past. It is the resurrection that gives us hope for the future. It is the resurrection that sustains us in the present. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from first to last. It is why I am a Christian, uh, so we're gonna I'm gonna conclude this morning, and I'm gonna ask you how you're gonna respond. Maybe maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you just happen upon this video, or you're watching it in a living room with family, or or you've been um, you know kind of in in Christian circles, and and you're just struggling with this idea of of resurrection, like this whole like did Jesus really rise? Like who does that? Like I got to get it. Nobody, nobody rises from the dead. And, and so I want you to think about what is it that you think is going to take away your shame? What is it that you think is going to provide a future for you where you can be healed and made whole? And what is it right now that is sustaining you? And Paul, he's, he asked, he's asking these questions and for Paul, the answer is, and for me, the answer is, there's just one thing, and one thing only, it is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so I want to ask you, if today is the day that you would put your allegiance in Christ, that you would put your faith in him and say, Matthew, I don't understand it all, I don't understand how it all works, but I believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead and I want to put my trust in him. You can do that this morning in your, in your living room. It doesn't have to be a, a, a big uh, production. Just, you just cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you are alive. I believe that you rose from the dead. I want to put my trust in you. And if that's your prayer today, if that's your heart's desire, we'd, we'd love to know that. There's a, a place where, in the link, it'll take you to a, a page where you can, can let us know that you want to follow Jesus. We want to begin this journey with you. Um, and there might be others today that you're a Christian you believe Jesus rose from the dead but you're you're struggling um, and I I can empathize with that struggle uh, this was not a, an easy week for my family uh, and, um, I got a call early Monday morning about 2 o'clock my, my dad calling me and my mom wasn't doing well she's been battling cancer uh, for the last three years and, and was just wondering what to do and uh, so we ended up calling 911, took her to the hospital, and uh, she had a fever, and so, you know, we're thinking, um, oh, my goodness, like, if she has COVID and she's been on chemotherapy, she has no, you know, her immune system is, is shot, um, and thankfully it, it wasn't that, um, but they they found there was fluid on her lungs, which, again, we're thinking, oh, man, this, you know, possibly COVID, um, but it was, it's still it's cancer-related, um, and so... Um, she spent several days at the hospital, and she, we just like it. It's it's a struggle. Like I understand if you have had a rough week, right? <clears throat> Maybe someone you know is sick. Maybe you're struggling with the the isolation, like you just want to get out and have some human interaction. And you you could maybe you you live alone or with roommates, but it's it's like living alone. Um, Some of us just feel abandoned during this time, and we're struggling for this future that we know God has has promised us. That um, because Christ is risen, we can know that He is with us that he sustains us, that there is a future guaranteed for us. And I know that bodies are, are breaking down, and sometimes things don't make it make sense why people are sick and why people pass away. But in Christ's resurrection, our future is secured. And so I want you to know that right now Christ is ministering to you because he is alive, that he is pouring his life out, into your life his resurrected life he's leading you in truth he's leading you in wisdom and you don't have to be afraid you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is alive uh, we're going to take communion together I want to give you a moment to grab some bread, crackers or, uh, juice, wine, water whatever you need to grab um, and just, we we'll just take a moment to reflect and to, to pray I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, we need you. I'd like never before. We need you to come and to minister to us in real time. And I'm thankful that we have hope for the future and we know that you're going to restore all things and make all things new and, and redeem this world. But right now, in our struggle and our hurt, We need you. We need you to come. We need your Holy Spirit to come. We need your presence. And so, would you come into our homes? Would you come into our lives? Would you come and minister? Would you come and minister to us? We celebrate the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, Lord's table, each week. Because we believe that it centers us on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And the night when Jesus was betrayed, He he took bread. And in Matthew 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So in communion, we believe that the risen Christ is present with us. and Would you declare with me the mystery of our faith? You can just say with me that, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again.